At long last, I am joined today by Mark Zarnicki. I met him at AEP Ripper Operations about eight years ago. He is now the Vice President of Sales at MG Transport. Mr. Zarnicki, thank you very much for joining me today. Tim, thank you very much for having me. And before we get before we get started, I will have to say that when AEP made the bright, the wise decision to hire you, again, and I had the privilege of working with you when you first started, I knew that you were going to be successful in this business. Well, I do I, appreciate that. I uh, I remember a few a few good rides with you to, to lunch and stuff over the years. Well, it wasn't over the months, really. It wasn't very long. Yeah, it wasn't long. Yeah, yeah. from, oh, what was that, August of 15 till, I forget when you left. Uh, May. Today, May of May. 16. In May of 16, yeah, because I'll be here, I'll be here at MG seven years, May the 1st. Okay. Yeah. Well. I'm sure has flown. Yeah, you can say that again. Um, we'll, we'll get into all that, I, I, I imagine, but as these all begin, Please tell me, were you born in St. Louis? Yes, I was born in St. Louis. And, and uh, lived there till 10 years ago and moved to New Orleans 10 years ago. Uh, what was like, so that was, what, what year would that have been? When I was born? Yeah. 1960. Yeah, I'm 63 years old. I just turned 63. You don't look a day over 62, sir. Well, I appreciate that. What, um, what was life growing up in St. Louis? Did you, you have, I think you have a brother, is that correct? I have a brother and a sister, okay. um, and you know we were life was basic and simple. Um, you know, it was um, every night dinner with the family at the table. Um, not a lot of options as far as um, entertainment was concerned, as far as television or anything like that. You know, I think we had five TV channels. Um, and I was very, very active in sports. You know, we didn't have a big house. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, we didn't have, you know, the internet or social media or, you know, Netflix or any of that. We, I think we had five television channels. And if we weren't in school and the weather was nice, we weren't allowed to be in the house. You weren't going to sit in the house and watch TV all day. So, you know, we basically entertained ourselves, you know, and we entertained ourselves by, you know, playing sports constantly, hunting and fishing, which I still do a lot of. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up in a, in a Catholic family. I was, um, I went to Catholic grade school from kindergarten through the eighth grade. I was very, very involved and very active. Um, I played in the guitar mass. You know, life was, it was, it was good. Life was good. I got thrown a curveball when I was um, 15. I was the oldest. I had a, a sister at the time that was 13 and my younger brother was seven. And when I was 15, my father passed away and our world changed. Our world changed. And, um, you know, my mother went through some extremely hard times. She had never she had never worked. She never had worked. She didn't graduate from high school. She had never worked. And all of a sudden, she's the parent. And the pressure got to her for a couple of years. And it was, it was, but she made it through it. We made it through it. Um, you know, it's a miracle. I always say it's a miracle. Somebody up there likes me because, you know, we could have gotten into a lot of trouble. We didn't have a lot of um, supervision for a few years. And, um, but, you know, I've met, you know, and I'll get into that a little more with this industry, um, but I've always had good mentors in my life. I've always had good role models, you know, and, and people kind of took me under their wing to make sure I was, you know, I was going down the straight and narrow because it was, it would have been easy. It would have been easy to be a, you know, a criminal. It would have been, it would have been real easy. I mean, you know. No supervision, you know. Like I said, my mother there for a few years. She uh, she didn't even really care if we went to school. You know, it was kind of a bad deal. Now, after a couple of years, she turned her life completely around and ended up being one of the greatest women I ever knew. You know, but yeah, life was, um, you know, and because of, of that that upbringing, 
Um, and because of that, a tragic event, losing my father when at such a young age, you know, it was basically college really wasn't an option. You know, it really wasn't an option. It was, mom wasn't going to take care of me. You know, mom wasn't going to pay for my car, or my car insurance or my gasoline or, you know, so, you know, when I, I, I dabbled in college when I first got out of high school, but I still had to work. I still had to work. And in the summer of 79, I got a really good job at the time. I was working at a, at a factory. It was called Barry Waymiller. And they, they manufactured bottle washers and pasteurizers for breweries. And I made all the money I needed. I never had more money in my entire life. I was, it was a union shop and I was making $7.47 an hour. And life was great. Life was grand, you know? And um, like you said, you know, it's, I moved out when I was 19 years old. You know, you're on your own. And that was the same thing with my sister. My sister stayed around a little longer. But my brother, you know, when he, he turned 18, you're on your own. There was no, you know, you can stay here for a couple of years until you figure it out. That, that wasn't an option. You know, it wasn't an option. We had to take care of ourselves. Well, what did your father do for a living? Prior my to... father worked for um, a, a company. The name of the company was Paul Products, and they were a heat treating company. So they were involved in the tempering and the hardening of steel. And then that's, you know, that was something, you know, his dream for me, um, had he stayed alive, his dream for me was to go to University of Missouri at Rolla, which was the engineering school, and to be a metallurgist. And, that, you know, up until he passed away, right before I turned 16, that was the plan. I mean, that was, that was the plan. And like I said, but he was, um, he started off at Paul Products as a truck driver. And then he got into the factory. And then he became a shipping and receiving clerk. And from shipping and receiving clerk, he got an opportunity to go into customer service. And after customer service, lo and behold, they put him into sales. And he was very successful, very successful. He opened up a couple plants for him outside of St. Louis. He opened up a plant in Memphis. And I can't, it's the other place where he opened up a plant. Slips my mind right now. But um, he traveled kind of like I do. He traveled quite a bit. You know, he was in sales. He was out seeing people. So that's what he did. And like I said, my mother, she never worked. You know, now after my father died and she got her personal issues straightened out, she went back to school. She got her GED. And then she went from her GED. Then she went into um, to medical assistant school and became a medical assistant. And I was really proud of her when she graduated. And lo and behold, several years later, she was a drug and alcohol counselor. And, um, and she was really good. And I remember at her funeral, um, you know, I had several people come up to me telling me how many people lives she had impacted as far as their sobriety. And it was like into the thousands. So, and that's, uh, so that's kind of what my mom and my dad in a nutshell, you know. How did your career advance from that factory into the, eventually into the industry? Well, what happened was um, it was a union shop, okay? And the union, unions, all unions are different, but this union was based on seniority. You know, the, the longer your time you were vested in the company, the higher your seniority. Well, they had, you see, 1980, 79, 80, the economy was really crappy. And there was, a, you know, I think basically a recession. I knew a lot of my buddies were out of work at the same time. The guys that, you know, decided not to go to college like myself. And um, on July the 3rd of 1980, I got laid off from the factory I was working at. And, you know, I only knew one way to do things, and I still do, and that's to work hard. And I'll never forget... Um, 
and they laid us off because they, they didn't have as many orders, you know, and they had to lay some people off. And it was by seniority. And I remember the last day I clocked out, the foreman at the met me at the time clock. And his name was John Yersman. And he said, this is the part that I don't like about the unions. He goes, and John was at the time, I'm probably 60 years old. And John said, Mark, you were one of the hardest men that I've ever had working for me. Because you work hard. And that's all I knew how to do. That's all I knew how to do. So, you know, that was July the 3rd. Um, piddled around looking for jobs here and there. I picked up uh, a temporary job. My a buddy of mine's family owned bath, fireplace, and electric. And this buddy of mine's father um, had to go in the hospital for a couple months. And he worked at Bath Electric in the warehouse. And my buddy said, you know, they're going to need somebody, you know, for a couple months working in the warehouse while my dad's out. And uh, would you be interested? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they, I worked temporary. I worked on a union card. I didn't get in the union. Um, I worked temporary. And um, and then when his dad came, got out of the hospital, I was back looking for a job. So let's say that's September. And the gal I was with at the time, I was, I mean, like I said, it was tough finding a job. It was tough. And, and I had a, a personal goal because of what I had done at uh, the factory. I said, well, I'm worth at least $5 an hour. My time is worth five bucks an hour, you know, so I'm not going anywhere unless I make five dollars an hour. And, you know, because I could have got a job at the at the burger chefs or the Burger Kings or something like that. That wasn't where I was going. I mean, you know, I wanted a, something that had a career to it. But the gal I was dating with and living with at the time, she knew a headhunter, worked for an employment agency. And so she mentioned to her that I was looking for work. You know, I had a lot of skills. I didn't, I don't know how to type. I could weld. I mean, I didn't really have a whole lot of marketable skills except that I worked hard. Well, this lady calls me, this headhunter, and she said, there's this job down on the river. Um, and the, the guy I talked to there said he'd like to meet with you. And I said, oh, okay. I said, what kind of job is it? And he said, well, she said, it's like a, it's a barge terminaling they load and unload barges and fleeting operation. I had no idea what fleeting was, okay? I didn't know what went on. I was one of those guys that didn't know what went on on the other side of the levee. And so I went, I met, I met with him for an interview and uh, Kenny Novak was the guy's name. He was one of my, probably my first mentor in this industry. And I'll never forget, so what they needed is, they needed somebody that, was like a shipping receiving clerk that could dispatch the fleet when the fleet mate wasn't there. Carl Radisak, who was one of my bigger mentors in life. Uh, when Carl wasn't around, you know, you'd give the, the somebody call and say they need a bar to shift. So you'd call the boat and have them shift the barges, you know, the routine. And um, so I went down and I interviewed with Kenny. And one of the things I had to do was I had to type truck tickets, okay? So a barge comes in with pipe, all right? And we unload the barge and we put it in the warehouse. Well, then the trucks come pick the pipe up. Well, you have to type the truck a bill of lading. And I'll never forget, when I, during my interview, Kenny said, can you type? And I said, yeah, I can type. And he said, okay. He goes, can you start tomorrow? And I said, sure, that's great, you know? And, he said, all I can pay is $750 a month. And I was like, oh, that's, I said, that's not $8 an hour. I mean, $5 an hour, that's not five bucks an hour. And he goes, after 90 days, we'll bump your pay up to $800 a month. And I'm thinking, that's my five bucks an hour. Okay, so I'll never forget, I walked into work, my first day on the job, you know, and I, you know how you do, you have to go through all the orientation stuff, not like you do nowadays, but you still had to do that. And um, and we had pipe that was leaving out on trucks. And Kenny said, here, I'll show you how you do these truck tickets. You know, and I caught on to stuff pretty quick. 
And he said, okay, are you ready to do them yourself? And I said, yeah. He goes, go ahead. And so I pulled my Selectric typewriter over, okay? And I turned it on and I put the bill of lading in the typewriter and I start. And I remember Kenny looked up, he's like me now, you know, he looked up over his reading glasses at me and he said, I thought you said you could type. And I said, I am typing. You know, and that was that was it. That was that was my, you know, and then it was a, a whole new world, the barge line industry. That you know, it's it's a shame and um, you know that more people don't know what goes on between the levees, okay, the commerce and how important it is to our country, how many jobs it provides, um, careers that you can make. I'm a perfect example. So I worked there for uh, started on October the 1st, probably worked there to the following August. And I didn't do a lot of manual labor, like when they needed something done, you know, they'd say, hey, this deck, this boat needs, this tug needs a deckhand for two hours. Can you go out and help them? You know, and they grab a pair of work gloves and I had, you know, boots. And, you know, I could tell that and I've said it many times, this is not, this industry is not going to be my life. This isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life. And that was 43 years ago. But um, in August of 81, yeah, I got hired down on the river in 80, August of 81, it was a really hot day. I mean, St. Louis is almost like down here in New Orleans. It gets hot, humid. And we had a grocery order delivered to the terminal for one of the line boats. And I was out helping them take the boxes of groceries off, walking across the barges to put them on the tug to bring them out to the line boat. And Tim, I had work boots on, okay? And I remember the steel on the barges was so hot that it was burning my feet. You know, and I was thinking, and I don't really, this isn't for me. I'm telling you, this is this isn't for me. So I go back up to the office after I put the groceries, and Kenny Novak said, Hey, the vice president of operations up at Bally Line, the headquarters there in St. Louis, wants you to give him a call. I'm like, wants me to call him? You know? And he said, Yeah, he wants you to give him a call. So I called him, you know, and it was his name was Captain Beaver. He was vice president of operations and former riverboat captain from up in West Virginia, another one of my mentors, Bus Beaver, but they, you know, they Bus Beaver, DeWitt L. Beaver. And uh, I went up there and interviewed him. And he said, I got a job and you might be interested in it. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, crew dispatcher. And I said, crew dispatcher, what's that? He goes, well, you put all the unlicensed crew members on the towboats. And it's your responsibility to make sure the unlicensed crew would be like from the watchman on down. Watchman, deckhands, a striker engineer, a oiler, and a cook. And that was my job. And then you'd have to, you know, buy some fuel and have to help out a little bit here and there in the operations department. But you're, you know, arrange their transportation, get them to and from the boats. And I said, okay. And he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, and I'll give you $50 more a month. And I said, so I'm up to $850, you know. I'm like, wow, I'm doing, I'm, I'm shitting the talk on, buddy. This is this is it, you know. And he said, now this is in the headquarters, okay, which is in Clayton, Missouri, outside of St. Louis, west of St. Louis, which is still considered a pretty affluent neighborhood. Okay. And big high-rise building and he said um he said so he goes you, you know you have to pay to park here and he goes some people you know try to, to to plug the meters every day or you just pay to park in the building here down the street there you can get at the holiday Inn. they got a pretty good and and bottom line was okay it cost me fifty dollars a month to park my car okay so I really made this move for no money, right? 
I'm like, not only that, okay, I went from wearing jeans and boots and flannel shirts and t-shirts to work. Back then, you had to wear a coat and a tie. So now all of a sudden, I had to upgrade my wardrobe. All right, I had one suit, you know, and upgrade my wardrobe, dry cleaning, all the crap that comes along with it. And um, the job, the cruise badging job was, and I tip my hat to anybody that can do it. Okay. And there are people that love doing it. And to me, it was just, uh, it was a challenge every day. It was a challenge every day. You know, there's guys were getting fired off of boats and, you know, it was, you know, I'd have a captain call me. I just put a deckhand off. I need a, I need another deckhand when I get up to Brandon Road Lock, you know, and that was, I was, I would scramble constantly. And if I told you the amount of guys that were supposed to get on boats that didn't call, didn't catch the boat because their grandmother died, but it was like their fourth grandmother, you know, it was, you know, I'm like, well, I thought your, your dad's mom died last year. You know, it was those type of things. It was funny. It was, it was a game, but, um, I could tell crew dispatching really wasn't going to be my forte, you know, but operations was fun. I mean, I got into boat operations, you know, and after a point, the industry went through some really tough times in the 80s. And I always say that, um, you know, I worked hard, but I didn't make a lot of money. So when the industry went through some hard times, which I've seen on some of your um, rather podcast, um, you know, the barge lines, they were regulated at one time. And, you know, when they did the Russian grain embargo, and it just changed the whole landscape of the barge industry. And they went from making a lot of money to barely making money or not making money. So they, um, I can't remember the years, Tim, they had a, a layoff. And they laid a bunch of senior people off. And they didn't lay me off. You know, I'm like, well, I figured, you know, they didn't lay me off because I wasn't making any money. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, they laid my boss off and they gave me his job. So now I was doing the licensed crew members, the unlicensed crew members, and ordering all the fuel lube and supplies for the boats. Somewhere in there, um, a job became available in barge dispatch. This was at a company called the Valley Line. And, you know, I knew the guys over there. I never did the barge dispatch anything, but I knew the guys. So I went ahead and uh, when the job became available, the manager, Brian Medford, who was another mentor of mine, almost a father kind of mentor, um, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, you know, you'll have to get a replacement. And I kind of was, I had to get my replacement. So I had to call a buddy of mine that got the job at the river terminal and said, hey, you want this job? And so he took that job and I got a chance to go into barge dispatch. But once I got into barge dispatch and really started to figure it out, I loved it. There was so much to do. It was never a dull moment. You know, it was a challenge every day, you know, and I was at the time I was, I was young and, you know, like I've told my sons, I was humble and curious, you know, I wanted to, um, I didn't know a whole lot, but I wanted to know more. So anytime someone would go on vacation or they'd be out of town or business, I would always ask, can I do their area? Can I dispatch my area plus their area? which was a great thing. I mean, it just, what it's done to me in my career is that I'm pretty knowledgeable about the entire Inland Waterway because I, at one point or another, I got very familiar with every Inland Waterway. You know, the Monongahela, the Allegheny, the Tennessee, the Cumberland, you know, the Arkansas, the, the Wachita. You know, I got, and I got to learn the rivers and, um, you know, and I had the, the mentors that I had over the years, Tim, I, I mean, I, I've written, I wrote them down because I knew we were going to have this call, but, you know, early on, 
at Valley Line. The president was a guy named Tom Barna. He wasn't really well liked, but he was a mentor of mine. It was a guy named Robert Kanoki, who was the vice president of sales. And, you know, he really, he was instrumental in, in teaching me. And, you know, then there's a guy named Don McCauley, who was the best dispatcher I've ever known. Don, uh, and Don's still in the business. He's, um, he's barge brokering for himself. But as far as Don, Don was, I never saw a person have a memory the way he did. You know, we'd be talking about a, a barge that got into an accident at Memphis a year ago, and he would know the barge number. It was, you mean the VL81295? And I was like, wow. And so Don, and, and, then, and then one of my best mentors, and I owe him a lot to my career, was a guy named Wendell Maysjack. And um, I remember when the dispatching thing, and you know, you're, you've dispatched, you understand it, okay? And I can just remember one day I turned around to, and I said to him, why, we have problems every day. We have problems every single day. And he said, I'm gonna tell you something now. He goes, you gotta quit looking at them as problems. He goes, you gotta look at them as opportunities. And boy, that just struck home. And I'll bet you I've said that to 50 people over the 43 years. You know, you know, a young man that I'm that I'm working with right now. You know, he's like, oh no, what else can go wrong? Yeah, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. You know, so you know, so I worked at Valley. Met my wife. So the, the barge business is just, I'm blessed, okay? Um, if it wasn't for the barge business, now, unfortunately, it's my ex-wife, but if it wasn't for the barge business, I would never have met my wife. If I would never have met her, I would never have had my sons. If I never had my sons, I never would have had uh, my grandchildren. So, you know, I mean, I'm indebted to this industry, to this business. Now I've worked hard to get where I am, but, you know, I mean, I've met the, some of the finest people, friends, uh, friends that, you know, they're, they're lifelong friends, and I haven't worked with them in 20 years, and I still go fishing with these guys, you know, it's, it's just a, it's an absolutely wonderful industry, and I've been blessed by more than I deserve. Well, one note I made while you were talking, uh, the dispatcher you're mentoring now, uh, asked what else can go wrong. My first reaction is never ask that question because yeah. you don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in our industry, yeah, in our industry. I work, you know, you know, I work with Terrence Gomez. Between Terrence and I, I think we have eighty-eight years' experience in this industry. And I'll tell you, at least once a month, we will look at each other and go, "Man, I've never seen that shit happen before." <laughs> Ain't that something? Yeah, and it, yeah. but it's it's fun, you know. The, 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 where it's gotten to me is that when those type of things happen, I don't get all excited anymore and get all worked up, you know. But when I was younger, I did. When I was younger, it doesn't mean that I don't care. I still care as much, if not more, than I did. But I think you know the, a little bit of wisdom with these gray hairs and. You know, we're going to get through this. We're going to make it through this issue and, you know, we'll live to fight another day. Roger that. Did your siblings start, did your brother follow you into the industry? Yeah. So my brother, he, um, he ended up, he was a carpenter, you know, same, almost the same situation I had getting into the room. My brother was a carpenter and there was no construction going on and he needed a job. So whenever, when I worked in the operations department with the crews, okay, up in the main office, so there was a boat company at the time, they were called B&B Towing. They were owned by uh, Charlie Norton and Jimmy Radisson. And they had their own boat. They ran their own boat. And that boat basically was on charter or contracted to Valley Line to work the fleet. And when Charlie, one of his deckhands wouldn't show up, Charlie would call me and say, do you have any deckhands that live in the area that are off of the line boats? I need a guy to come work tomorrow. You know, and, and most of the time I did. Most of the time. I, and the fleets paid, at the time, the fleets paid a deckhand more 
than the line boats did. So, you know, most of the time it was easy. You get a guy to go work for one 12 hour shift. Anyhow, um, he called one time. My brother had just stopped by and he was 20 years old, 19, 19 years old. And I mean, he was really dumb. He couldn't find a job. And Charlie called me either later that day. Yeah, it was later that day. And he said, I need a deckhand. You got anybody off? And I said, let me look. And I went through my usual guys. I said, no, I don't have anybody off right now. I said, what about a green guy? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, ah, I got my brother. My kid brother's looking for a job. And I said, no experience, never been on the river at all. And he goes, tell him to be at St. Louis Fuel at six o'clock tomorrow morning. And so he showed up at six o'clock. He was there early, of course. You know, think about this now. Now think about the industry as you and I know. Okay, and think about the industry back then. He showed up and went to work. There was no drug test. There was no background check. You know, he showed up and he went to work. And he, like myself, made it a career. And right now he's a semi-retired pilot. Um, he'll, try, he'll still try to work. You know, he could work every day. He gets calls every day. But he'll try to try to work one or two days a week. Um, you know, keep his license current. You know, he's got a lot of friends out on the industry. Help pay, he's got his youngest son still going to college. It helps pay his college tuition. But, um, so the industry, I mean, the industry itself, I mean, look how wonderful it's been to my family, you know? And I'll never forget when I took the job, my mom said, you're going on the work on the river. You're going to be a river rat. And, you know, cause that back then, you know, they were stereotyped as they were the dredges of society. Guys that want to work on the river couldn't get a job anywhere else, you know? And, and in some cases back then, that was the case. It was the truth. I mean, it was, um, yeah. So my brother, you know, he's had a very successful career, raised a family, you know, bought a house, bought a small farm. Um, you know, I've put a couple of kids through college. He's put some kids through college, you know, and, and this in 1980, I would never thought any of this would happen. I would never, you know, and like I said before, when I was working at factory, I was making $7.47 an hour. I was the wealthiest person in the United States. I didn't need anything else. But yeah, but it's been a it's been a great entry. It's been a great run. I I've it's just been absolutely incredible. I got funny stories. I've got, you know, sad stories. I've got, you know, I mean the 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 people that I've met and been mentored with, I mean, been mentored by. You know, I've been blessed, you know, I mean, I, this list goes on forever, you know, Mark Tanoy, you know, Paul Tobin, the Paul Tobin just wasn't, you know, a mentor and an employee, you know, when I was in my 20s, and I really wasn't a man yet, you know, I was a man by age, but I didn't know shit, I didn't know life, I didn't know responsibility, you know, and, and Paul and a guy named Brian Medford, you know, they kind of were my dad, you know, they kind of, it kind of made me grow up and be a man, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll forever be grateful, you know, and the, 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 the people that I've met, you know, Bob Blocker, you know, Bob gave me a chance in sales. He gave me my first shot. Chris Parsonage, you know, Harry Waddington, Mark Stoppel, Jeff Kendall, you know, it goes on and on and on. And I, I've just been so blessed. I've been so blessed. I've worked hard. Don't get me wrong. I've worked hard, but I've been blessed. I mean, it's just, and you know, now you know, you know him. My youngest son, you know, followed suit in the industry. And that was just a, that was clearly like out of left field. He calls me on a Friday afternoon. He's teaching and coaching football. And he calls me on a Friday afternoon and he says, hey, dad, this teacher thing's not working out. I'm like, what do you mean it's not working out? I'm not making any money. You know, at this rate, I'm going to be either living with you or mom the rest of my life. I said, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he said, I think I could do that barge thing that you do. I said, you mean like the dispatch thing? Because I dispatched for 25 years. And 
I said, do you want to do the dispatch thing? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you remember nights, weekends, and holidays? I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot about Ben, you know, but he's done very well. You know, I think he's in his eighth year, maybe, you know, and you know, he started at Carline Fleet as a dispatcher and, you know, was like I've told him always be, get in there, work your ass off, be humble and curious. You know, I don't know this, but I want to learn it. Yeah, look at this industry. I mean, it's, it's marvelous. It's just absolutely, I've been so blessed to be in this industry. Meet people like you, meet people like Terrence Gomez and Darren. You know, it's just, it's incredible. Rodney Green, you know, who I consider one of my lifelong best friends. You know, and I work for him at PV Barnes Life. You know, I dispatched the PV for four years. And that was a that was a fun job. I mean, goodness gracious, that was a fun job. I think I I dispatched from there from 95 to 98. And um, you know, and then I had an opportunity, you know, Memco came and offered me a position. Um, it was for more money, which was important. I had a young family and it was a lot closer to my house. And it was hard leaving PV because I had some good friends there. Um, but I had to do what was best for my family and myself. And um, I'm glad I did. You know, it, it worked out fine. Um, and it wasn't shortly after I left that PB Varge Line became another victim of ACBLs. You know, that's why the Valley Line, I mean, the first company, Valley Line, they became a victim of ACBLs. And back then, when ACBL bought Valley Line, I don't even remember who I interviewed with, but I interviewed with a couple of people at ACBL and I was given the opportunity, I could have went two places, but I would have had to move. And my wife at the time and her whole family was St. Louis and my whole family was from St. Louis. And, you know, we just, we weren't willing to move at the time. You know, so fortunately, we both landed on our feet. You know, I, I left Valley Line after 11 or 12 years. I went to work for a small towing company called STL Industries. Uh, another one of my good friends and a mentor, Dave Esper. Uh, Dave's still with SCF, I believe. Worked for him for two years. Left there, went to work for PV for four. Left PV, went to work for Memco. Memco was bought by AEP, AEP, American Electric Power. I worked for AEP until um, ACBL bought AEP. And then I went to work for five months um, for ACBL. And it was, I was not looking and I'd still be there to this day if Paul Woods with MG hadn't approached me and asked me if I'd be interested. You know, that was another one of those things that Bob said, when ACBL bought, the whole deal with, a, with AEP was that I was going to get the move to back to St. Louis. I was only supposed to be down here in New Orleans for six to 18 months. Well, then ACBL came in and bought AEP, and they weren't going to need the St. Louis office. They wanted everybody in Jeffersonville. And I remember Bob Blocker called me and said, hey, and he always used to call me big boy. He'd say, hey, big boy, I need you to work for me, but I need you to stay down there. And I said, I understand. I understand. You know, I really didn't have much of a choice, you know. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. It's been my my experience down here in Louisiana has been phenomenal. Been absolutely phenomenal. I feel like I'm I'm more in tune to what's going on in the river industry. It really happens down here. You know, it happens down here. Yes, sir. What prompted the jump to sales and who were you working for at the time? Oh, at the time I was working for, um, I was working for, so Chris Parsonage was still the president and of Memco. And Chris came up with an idea. And Chris said, we're no longer going to have just salespeople and we're no longer going to have just dispatchers. We're going to combine it because, you know, dispatchers are really involved with the customers. You know, a lot of times they're the front, the front people, right? They're on the front line. And so I got the opportunity. Chris had, had opened the door and I got the opportunity and 
then they Chris left the company. There was some um, Memco was bought by Carolina Power and Light. Carolina Power and Light, um, and Chris didn't see eye to eye, and Chris left. Chris was a great mentor of mine. Chris was one of the first people in the industry that treated me as a man. You know, I was always viewed as the kid. I was always viewed as the kid, you know? And when I, Chris hired me, he treated me like a man. Like I was, I was a man. Shortly after that, um, Blocker, there was an opening and we were still doing the sales and logistics thing. But Bob had given me an account and it was for your first account, it was one of the most challenging accounts to this day that I ever had. And he, and he told me the background of the guy that ran the company. And he said, you're going to learn a whole lot. And this guy did. He taught me a lot. I mean, he was a good guy. Socially, I hung out with him sometimes. We'd go see bands together and stuff. But business-wise, man, was he, he was cunning. I mean, you had to watch him at every turn. I mean, every turn. And, uh, and Bob was right. I mean, just that one customer taught me so much about sales and so much about interaction with people. And uh, so I'd say Bob gave me a uh, real chance. Um, they switched Bob. Bob has always been one of my great mentors. Bob Blocker, to this day, I will tell him, he is, Bob was like a football coach, okay? I don't know if you ever played football or not. But when I played football, football coaches were tough. And they wanted you to be tough, Okay. And I looked at Bob was like a football coach, okay? And Bob wouldn't ask you to do anything he didn't do himself. He pushed me hard, okay? You know, you had people that ran cost in the company, right? To cost barge freight out. You had people that cost. Bob would never let me take my opportunities to the costing department. He'd say, you work up the numbers, you work up the numbers. And that was just one of the greatest things that anybody could have ever taught me. That's how I've gotten to this point. Bob was a big mentor. There was a man at Tim, Tim Power at PV Barge Line. Um, he was a vice president at the time. He's now the president of SCF. And on my last day at PV, before I left PV to go to Memco, the very last day Tim said to me, and it, it stuck with me for forever since then, Mark, always run the numbers, always run the numbers. And, you know, it was funny, several years later, I was on a, a business trip down in Houston seeing some customers and I bought a piece of business and our flight got canceled out of Houston. So then we all had to wait in line at the counter to get rebooked on other flights. I was just sitting there in that terminal and I had my notepad out, my yellow pad, and my calculator. And I'm running the numbers on this opportunity that I had just been presented in Houston. And I'm looking in front of me in that line, and I'm kind of, man, that guy looks familiar. And he finally gets up there and gets his flight squared away. And he turns around, and it was Tim Power. And I said, Tim, I was just thinking about you. And he says, why is that? I said, I was sitting over there running the numbers, you know, and I, I've just been blessed. It's been, it's been a blast. It's been a, an absolute blast, you know. Do you have uh, retirement, at least on the mind out there on the horizon? Yes, I do. Um, you know, we were just recently purchased by Maritime Partners and um, which they're, they're great owners. They're great owners. And I'm not going to say that the private equity that owned us before weren't. They were good owners. You know, they were in the weeds a lot more. They didn't know much about the industry. Um, Maritime Partners, on the other hand, you know, we're their first operating company, but they have some skin in the game. They kind of understand the business, the concept of the business. So they've, um, you know, they'll give us guidance, but they pretty well let uh, 
our CFO, Tim Herzog, Terrence and myself do what we need to do to, to keep the business to be successful. So yeah, you know, I, you know, I don't think I have a date um, picked when I want to retire, but it's getting closer. My goal and my objective is to leave MG Transport in a good position for the next years after I retire. Okay. You know, I've always felt that, you know, and I, I don't know if somebody told me this along the way, but it may not be a hundred percent accurate, but you know, I feel like that I have a fiduciary responsibility to, to MG, right. To make MG money. That's, that's what I, okay. And then I have a responsibility to the people that work for MG and their families, right. Cause they, they depend on this for their living, right. Their children, their education, food, clothing, shelter, the whole thing. And I feel, and then I have a responsibility to my customers, you know, I have to re represent my customers fairly, you know, I have to do that. And then of course I have the, the, you know, family responsibilities, you know, I've got grandkids, they're getting, you know, there'll be five here in July. You know, I like to get back into St. Louis in a couple of years so I can watch them as they get, you know, they had their, my twin grandkids had their first baseball practice last night, you know, they're four and a half years old. Like I said, there'll be five in July. You know, so I want, I want to be back and see them grow, you know, while I still have my health. I'm not rushing, you know, I want to make sure, like I said, that the company's set up in good shape and that whoever takes over after me is ready to take over after me. Well, over the years, have you found yourself missing bars dispatch or, or does sales keep you plenty occupied enough? Sales keeps me plenty occupied enough that the, um, the beauty of working for this small company, okay, is that we're a really tight group, okay? And, you know, we have uh, a really good team, very good team. So even though I'm not doing the day-to-day -day dispatching, you know, I'm still actively involved. You know, wherever I can help out, um, I help out. You know, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to share my, my knowledge and experience, you know, and try to and try to mentor people. And, you know, because like I said, I did the dispatch thing for 25 years. And, you know, I considered myself pretty good at it, pretty good at it. You know, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I yeah, I did. I liked the two o'clock in the morning phone calls. No, did I have to like work on the holiday weekends? No, nah, I really didn't. OK, you know, but what I changed in that. Uh, the barge dispatching, you know, you get to work with the boats and the, you know, and the, the crews on the boats and, you know, and the relationships that I developed over the years with these guys on the wheelhouse. I mean, these guys, you know, I sell it, you know, but these guys deliver it, you know, they're the ones that do it, you know, and, you know, it's, a, you know, I always got a kick out of it. You get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning from a boat because he's got an issue, okay? And I found out nine out of 10 times, if I just sat there and listened, they'd figure it out on their own. You know what I'm saying? They just wanted to talk to somebody. Really, who was I to tell a guy with a 10,500 horsepower boat and 35 loads what to do? You know, come on. Sure. You know, and like I said, nine out of 10 times, I, you know, these guys would call me and, you know, you just let them go on and, well, I could do this or I could do this. Okay. Well, what if one do you think is the best, you know, and they make their, they make their own, they make their own decisions, you know, cause there are managers out there, you know, they make it happen. You know, I always considered the dispatch group, the heartbeat, you know, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, they're, they're the heartbeat. Um, the decisions that the dispatchers make, you know, I went through um, a meeting earlier today with one of our dispatchers and I was showing them how I costed a piece of business. Nobody had ever sat down with them before and showed them that. And I basically showed him how the decisions he makes every day impact how successful MG is. You know, and he, and he you know, and he didn't, he didn't really realize it. You know, I'm like, 
well, you know, if you save $1,500 here, I said, see how much more money we make per day on the barge? Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, and, you know, I think with Terrence and I, you know, we've got a Cracker Jack dispatch team. You know, we got three guys, got a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, uh, willing to put in the time, you know. No, do I miss dispatching? No, 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 I don't miss it. I love sales. You mentioned you had plenty of funny stories. Does any single one come to mind in the highlights of your your career here? I'm gonna I'm gonna say early on, okay. When I was still working down on the river and we had an office, and the office was up and it had big glass windows, okay? And you could look out over the floor at the, what we called the time these guys were stevedores, right? And um they loaded and unloaded the barges. They loaded the trucks, unloaded trucks. And they, um, it was right before Christmas. <laughs> it was right before Christmas. And it was at lunch, you know, and they, um, they were union guys. They punched a clock. And they'd leave for half an hour, you know. And I'll never forget one day, I just happened to look out the window and I saw the stevedore walk by. And he had a live goose under his arm, a white goose under his arm. And I looked and like, huh. And I said to my boss, I said, Kenny, I said, um, can't remember the guy's name. Gosh darn it. I said, so-and-so just walked by with a live goose. Said, oh no. Like, no, really, he did. And like I said, it was right before Christmas, right? And he said, go see what the hell's going on. So I got up and they had their locker room down the hallway. And I opened the door to their locker room. And here this Steve door is. He's got a rope tied around the neck of this goose. Okay. And he's got the rope tied to the handle of his locker. And this goose is not happy. Okay, crapping everywhere, flapping his wings, all this shit. And I looked at him and I go, what in the hell are you doing? And he said, I went up to Sulog and I bought me a live goose for Christmas dinner. And I'm like, okay, all right. I can't make it up. You know, I can't make it up. Live goose. Oh, there's bunches of stories. Funny stories. Just absolutely funny stories. Well, if I found out nothing else in the last eight years, and especially doing this podcast, it certainly does take all kinds to make this thing happen. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Well, do you have any um, any message for the industry for for newcomers, for old timers, for just just a synopsis of what you've seen? Um, the industry has changed. The industry's changed. It's it's much more professional. We've used technology to our benefit. I think that, you know, the message I want to give to the people that watch this that have known me, um, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. You know, I didn't get to name everybody on here. There's Dan Markowitz. There's you know, God rest his soul, Jay Russell Flowers, you know, these, these people that were just, I mean, Jack Flow, um, I said Kanoi, you know, Todd Fuller, the Associated Terminals, you know, Todd was a Glenn Sheck Schneider. But um, for the people that I've known that may be watching this, all I can say sincerely from the bottom of my heart is thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've been, um, for a newcomer, like I've always told my sons, you gotta work hard. You know that. I mean, that's that's one thing. You have to work hard. You can't be afraid to work. Remain humble and curious. You know, and um, if you work hard, um, you're humble about yourself, grateful, and you want to consistently gain knowledge. You know, gain knowledge and learn. This industry can take an uneducated, uneducated man. And um, who would ever thought I'd be executive vice president of a barge line? You know, I worked hard. And I, and I think that 
you know, I know the I know the the issues that we're having right now at getting and retaining people in this industry. You know, and I know companies like Ingram and Turn Services and you know ACBL and you know we're all doing our best to try to get people attracted to the river. You know, and you know I I would talk to a, a friend of mine at dinner last night that that you work with. He told me a program that Ingram does. And I was, you know, go to Paducah and, you know, have an open house for high school graduates and their families. And, you know, you know, there's not every kid is cut out to go to college. You know, we still need guys that are going to work on the boats. We still are going to need electricians. We're still going to need plumbers, you know, and, you know, the river industry, yeah, it's hard. The river industry is not easy. If you're if you're an eight to five person, it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work. But you know, if you know, where can you get a job now? Okay, and you start off somewhere around forty five, fifty grand a year. Okay, and work on boats. In five years, you could be in the wheelhouse making a six figure income. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good deal, you know, and, and you know, it's, um, and, you know, when you find someone, you know, I always say this, the river is in my blood, you know, I wasn't a towboat pilot that spent 30 days at a time out there, but I was out there a lot, and I was, I'm involved with it every day of my life, every day of my life, um, and you know, it's a wonderful industry. It's if you're willing to put the time in, you're willing to put the time in, and and, and continue to to learn. You know, you can make a, a wonderful career, an absolutely wonderful career. There's opportunities all the time. Yeah, just you know, stick with it. Give it, you know, stick it out. You know, and the, every you know, young guy that I got working for me right now. You know, it's um. I have to, t I have to tell them, calm down, you know, a lot of anxiety, wants to, you know, wants to do it now, wants to, to charge you to do it now, I'm just like, sit back, relax, think about this, you know, you're doing really well, you're doing really well, okay, you know, he comes to my office shaking his head, oh man, oh man, well, I'm really sorry, Mark, I screwed that up, and I'm like, that's the worst thing that happened to us today, I said, we're fine. You know, we're fine, you know, and I always said this, you know, here at MG and, you know, I'm in a position here that it's my job that, you know, we know people are going to make mistakes, right? Especially in this industry. Okay. I mean, there's so many moving pieces all the time. We know people are going to make a mistake. Okay. What my job is to make sure they don't make that one big mistake. You know, and I, you know, my job is not to let that happen, you know, and I want to mentor them, share their knowledge, share my knowledge, learn from them. It's wonderful. We've got an FP&A guy here. I'm not going to say his name. We've got an FP&A guy here. I think he's been here three years. Young guy, 33 years old. Okay. Uh, very educated, very smart. Um, I respect the hell out of him. And I've never seen in 43 years, <clears throat> I've never seen someone pick up on our business as fast as he has. Never, never, okay? Now he's still learning every day, all right? But I learned from him. I learned from him, you know? And, you know, he's an analyst. He's an analyst and I learned from him. You know, he's just, you know, because, you know, this this old horse can new, learn a new trick, you know, and just because that's the way we've always done it doesn't mean that's the right way. You know, there could be a better way. If you increase, increase your efficiencies by 1%, you know, you know, the impact that it has to the bottom line. Well, Mark, I do appreciate uh the words of wisdom is when I started in this industry, you were right there with me. And uh, 
some of the words you shared today that you're sharing with people coming up now, you, you told me those very things. So I do appreciate you and, uh, and, and your time today. You're welcome, Tim. Thank you again for having me. I'm honored. Thank you, I'm glad, sir. I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Thanks yeah. a lot.